the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Friday, July 23rd, 2021, 602-508-0960. It's the phone number if you'd like to give us a ring, bring up anything you like. We're happy to uh, talk with you. Probably Bill or Rusty will answer the phone and put you right through to me. All they need is your name and town and topic. Um, the rule I was kind of hammering out earlier in the week is that you know that you have the better argument when the other side, in this case Republicans and conservatives having the better argument than the Democrats and the left, progressive left, uh, you know you have the better argument when they lie about what they're doing or try to memory hole it. You never have to worry about having the better part of the argument if you're proud about it and you think it can sell or at least it plays well in Peoria. From any number of things having to do Marxism, the squad, critical race theory, socialism, Marxism, you have seen this. You have seen it from General Milley. You've seen it from the Department of Education, denials and memory holes. You saw it with the 1619 Commission, which self-edited overnight without telling anyone a big no-no over at the New York Times. Usually, New York Times would tell you if a correction were warranted. They wouldn't just make a correction in the dark of night and not tell anyone about it. Thank goodness we read the New York Times, though they don't read our stuff because we catch them on it. They accuse us of things we don't say. We accuse them of things they do. They will either defend it or hide and run from it. If they do the second, you have the better argument, you have the winning argument, and you have shamed them. How does this play? I was just thinking about this. How does this play when it comes to Hunter Biden? He kind of breaks these rules. I want you to think about the past seven months since his dad has been president. You have had two major ethical stories having to ethical lapse stories, to put it no higher, having to do with Hunter Biden. At least two, two big ones anyway. The first was the discovery on his laptop of all kinds of references and meetings to people that no one else other would have, otherwise would have had meetings with but for the fact that his dad had involvement and the millions of dollars that was made off the use of his dad and the possible money that went to his dad never investigated. Why? Not investigated because the Biden team went into fast denial. They shut down the story. They had their allies at Twitter disable the New York Post account, and they had their spokesman, their professional spokesman, say this is a Russian disinformation campaign. Made me think, you know, 
it's not that for Donald Trump it's always Russia, Russia, Russia. It's the Democrats who are always bringing up Russia, Russia, Russia. And then we get this new story over the last uh, – it came up about a month and a, a month ago. We got this new story that Hunter B- Biden, amongst his other achievements, is actually an artist of some renown, so much so that his pieces of work could fetch upwards of $500,000 a piece in these galleries where he was displaying his art. That – by any standard and stretch, is a price put on art of very high value. Now, eyebrows were raised and concerns were mentioned because some people thought, you know, now that we Democrats woke up to the issue of corruption, after all, most of our charges against Donald Trump were about corruption – Corruption in his businesses, corruption with his family, corruption with his family and the businesses, corruption with his lawyers trying to engender corruption with his family and his businesses. It was all about corruption with Donald Trump. Having having finally woken up to the problems of corruption, the Democratic Party asleep at the wheel throughout the entire Clinton administration on this, but having 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 gotten their 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 ethical coursework completed and finding it an issue uh, between 2017 and 2021, 20, uh, they, um, they decided, well, this Hunter Biden selling his artwork could have, uh, could be, could present an issue when you stop to consider, you know, um, paying such high prices to someone who probably doesn't, whose art probably doesn't otherwise earn that again but for his last name, uh, could... Um, could be seen as uh, enriching, uh, enriching uh, the son in order to secure favors from the father, as close as they are, as close as Joe Biden continues to tell us they are. So the White House came up with an ethical solution to this because we don't want Hunter Biden to starve and be homeless. After all, you know he doesn't make very much money, right? Uh, they came up with an idea here, and the idea would be that the buyers of his ultimate work would be the ultimate buyers of his work would be anonymous no one would know their names which had some eyebrows raised because we thought boy i always real i always considered sunlight to be the best disinfectant we always thought disclosure was the way you get out of ethical entrapment and ethical trouble more disclosure not less more openness not more secrecy Democracy dies in darkness and all that, don't you know? But now we learn it's not even that level of protection. For the White House um, is now defending what the gallery, one of the gallery owners has said, which is that Hunter Biden is expected to actually meet with prospective buyers at these art shows. Um, for example, George Burgess Gallery spokesman Robin Davis said, quote, quoting in CBS News, quote, oh, yes, with pleasure, Hunter Biden will attend both of our events. He's looking forward to it. It is like someone debuting in the world. And of course he will be there, close quote. So he's a debut artist whose pieces fetch $500,000. That's quite a good debut. But it's also quite a far fall from the ethical integrity we were told would take place here. It's not as if the buyers will be anonymous. They might be anonymous to the public, the worst kind of anonymity, and the White House, 
but they won't be anonymous to Hunter. And guess what? Guess what? In a country of 330 million, I'm just a, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there are people who understand and can keep ethical confidences and buoys and navigational beacons straighter than Hunter Biden, probably about 330 million of those citizens, including our infants. So Hunter Biden will get to know who's who's looking at his art and who's bidding on his art. It's just that the rest of the American public won't get to know. Sound like an ethical problem for you? Well, the White House is defending it, of course. White House Press Secretary Jen uh, Psaki said, I think there are always challenges for an, on- for an anonymous person who we don't know, and Hunter Biden doesn't know to have influence. So that's a protection. They consider this to be a protection. The White House won't know, but Hunter Biden knows. How many of us believe, raise your hand, pull your car over, you name it. How many of us believe Hunter Biden has the personal cell phone or email addresses, if not regular phone numbers, to the President of the United States, the First Lady of the United States, the Chief of Staff of the United States, and most likely several other senior uh, directors of policy and personnel in the White House and the old executive office building. I'm guessing Hunter Biden knows how to reach higher echelons in office. I'm guessing it's also not a long-distance phone call. Anyway, it was just something that was on my mind driving in. We were guaranteed there would be a high wall of protection and anonymity, only to then find out that, well, it's a high wall, but Hunter will have the ladder to it. That, that, all of that, only after, only after conservatives discovered this was taking place in the first place. The most ethical administration in history. How good of to a start is it? How off to a good start is it? I want you to think just for a moment about everything I said about Hunter Biden. Prostitutes, drugs, meetings with foreign dignitaries that you, me, and Bill can't get, art debuting at $500,000 per piece. Just put the Trump name in front or after any one of those things and you tell me what Nancy Pelosi would do. I'll tell you what she'd do. She'd organize a House investigation for impeachment. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 We thank a lot of people around here. We never talk about the engineers, and I, uh, they are in studio with me today, starting uh, with Noah and uh, Derek and, of course, the big guy, Richard. So just a shout-out to our uh, essential workers here who keep us on. Thank you, gentlemen. 602 all right, here's how it's going to work. You can well, first of all, I got to mention this. For those of you that still watch professional sports, uh Bill, uh you used to be a baseball fan or at least a professional baseball fan, major league baseball fan. You won't know the story because I know you put a block now on all of this, but uh, the Cleveland Indians, 
they've changed their name, I think, to the Cleveland Guardians, I think is what I heard. Um, and that's a good thing uh, because everyone who ever attended or watched a Cleveland Indians game and was thus then inspired to go and beat up an Indian uh, will no longer do so starting uh, with the new season. So that's good. We've, uh, we've fixed that just as we fixed racism in this country um, by the statements we put in the end zones and uh, near the uh, baskets. Uh, that um, we uh, uh, that Black Lives Matter. Uh, it made people realize finally that they do, even though they were watching a sport, paying high premium <laughs> money to see, where theoretically it was already understood that uh, from eighty-five plus percent of that sport, we already knew Black Lives, of course, mattered, and of course, all lives, including Black Lives, do. Matter. It's important still to point out because I still see this when I see references to the protests, the mostly peaceful protests of last summer. You know, the ones, the mostly peaceful ones that led to 30 deaths, $2 billion worth of damage, the uh, takeovers and resignations of polices, the emergency declarations and uh, arsons, as well as, of course, fire bombings of federal buildings, all those. Um, Mostly peaceful protests um, that collapsed minority-owned businesses and devastated cities and police precincts. Um, you still see reference to them here and there, if so, as mostly peaceful and inspired by the racial killing of George Floyd. And I just think it's still important to point out, not for nothing, actually, not for nothing, that the attempted uh, grafting of race onto every ill in this country um, is not only failing, but distorts the conversation, the honest conversation we want to have, have been begging to have about race. There was not a single allegation in the trial against Derek Chauvin, not one, not one, that race played a factor in the killing of George Floyd. The killing of George Floyd was the was what the jury was what the jury found Derek Chauvin was guilty of. There was no evidence presented, argued, defended, or defended uh, negatively, defended poorly, fail, uh, 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 defended with failure that Derek Chauvin acted with racial animus. It wasn't an issue. There was a tragic death. A tragic homicide. Um, use a word stronger than tragic if you want. But it had nothing provable to do with race. Any more, any more. Do you have the uh, the montage from yesterday, by the way, Bill? I know I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's the Democrats cheering on those peaceful protests. Any more than Donald Trump incited violence on January 6th or incited not violence anymore, but a white power insurrection by telling his supporters to march peacefully to Capitol Hill. Marching peacefully, in, 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 importuning your, mar your followers to march peacefully is evidently the, um, the cause of the instigation of the catalyst for a deadly insurrection. This evidently 
does not. Punch some people in the face. I said, no, I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. I'd like to punch him in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? His fight in Congress, fight in the courts, fight in the streets, fight online, fight at the ballot box. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. They go low, we kick You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. Enemies of the state. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. And sadly, the domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our Constitution are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Interesting to me uh, to see Democrats um, who once disparaged, who ignored the violence, I should say, all of a sudden caring about it. But let's not forget um, what they said previously. Speaker Nancy Pelosi downplaying the violence rocking U.S. cities, ignorantly saying people will do what they do. Uh, Jerry Nadler, when asked about Antifa, he said that that was a myth that's being spread around Washington, D.C. It's not a myth. In fact, an Antifa individual took the life of an innocent Trump supporter in Portland. I, th- I think the um, point is made, and we have no commissions to study these. By the way, where's the commission to study the January 6th riots? And if the, speak- if the minority leader of the House, Kevin McCarthy, uh, had, um, had uh, the ability to see around corners just by a millimeter, he would have given a speech demanding just that now that the Democrats are truly interested in violence. It's interesting what gets them interested in violence. It wasn't any of the 30 deaths or police takeover, uh, precinct takeovers of the left or the $2 billion of damage or the burning of major cities or the taking over of police precincts and the resignation of police chiefs and uh, senior officers all over this country. That didn't animate them. What animated them is when it reached Washington, D.C., just as it's now animating them today, this very day, this very day, because a Tony neighborhood of Washington, D.C. faced gunfire last night. I know this neighborhood. I know the restaurant, the diplomat. I have eaten there. It is uh, a very nice uh, restaurant in a very uh, up, up, uh, upscale part of D.C., this part of D.C. 20 years ago, not so much. It's been gentrified and it's beautiful. And, uh, you know, if uh, there was violence in Ward 8, people didn't care because it was black on black. If there was um, violence in uh, Anacostia, people didn't care because it was black on black. But last night, where the people with a little more money in their pocket tend to go and eat, or there was a shooting... Boy, did that raise the rafters off the rooftops of the left in D.C. And a pretty darn good statement from their police chief. I just wish it didn't take this late to hear it. I'll play you what he said when we come back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Yes, I promised you the words of the chief of police in Washington, Washington, D.C. I wish he had said these earlier. I wish some police chief in Washington, D.C. had said them earlier. It's a little hard to hear at first because he's outside. But uh, I guess he finally got the memo. In the way that we're going and the things that we're trying to do, we want to help people. Yes, we should. But you cannot coddle violent criminals. You cannot. You cannot treat violent criminals who are out here making communities unsafe for you, for your loved ones, for me, for my loved ones. They might not want a job. They might not. They might not need services. What they may require is to be off of our streets because they're making it unsafe for us. And if that's what it requires, then that's what it requires. And we have to own that. We have to own it because if not, we see more of this. We see more of this in our communities. And then what happens? When someone's shot, you know, people are outraged by it. I'm outraged every time. Every of those 922, a lot of those 198 that died of that, I stood over many of those. Yeah, not everyone wants a job. Not everyone wants to be a good person. That is the purpose of our criminal justice system. And uh, I guess one could extrapolate a view of the progressive left, the fundamental decency and birth of original virtue um, that they view every human being in hairs. I suppose this is why they think communal living works. I suppose this is why they think parenting doesn't. Everyone is good all the time. And when a police shoots someone, it's not because they're defending their life. It's not because they're trying to protect their community. It's because they simply do not understand that most people are just basically good. You know who assumed most people were just basically good? Even wrote a book about um, even wrote a book about how much the same we all are. Um, Dr. Seuss, Theodore Geisel, who the left went after in this country because the presence of his works on our bookshelves, were badges and legacies of racism. And I was thinking about him today. And just if I can just push back against our uh, radicals, I would uh, like to say that the sun did not shine. It was too wet to play. So we sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. I sat there with Sally. We sat there, we too. And I said how I wish we had something to do. Too wet to go out and too cold to play ball. So we sat in the house. We did nothing at all. You're picking up the racism in this, right? Well, that's the opening. I'll give you the conclusion. Then our mother came in and she said to us, too, did you have any fun? Tell me, what did you do? And Sally and I did not know what to say. Should we tell her the things that went on there that day? Should we tell her about it? Now, what should we do? Well, what would you do if your mother asked you? You get the racism inherent here. What you uh, also get, of course, is the uh, Western-designed family of a boy and a girl, two children, and a parent. Funny thing is you don't hear about the father here, do you? That's okay. I assume and presume Dr. Seuss assumed and presumed there was one. 
just not critical to the story. Why? Because he was out working. That's why. That's why. Um, but if this country is showing its seriousness about racism by banning the man who wrote those words and those kinds of works, never mind the sneeches which Barack Obama read because he thought it was a book that would counteract racism. Um, if you think all that, you might just be a progressive leftist. I don't mean to uh, make a, um, a um, shibboleth of progressive leftism because it's not an insult. If you're on the progressive left and you're proud of it, you'll tell me so and why. And I certainly would invite a progressive leftist to tell me so and why on this channel, on, on this show, anytime. We always do. But if you're proud of it, it's not a criticism. But if you embrace it, if you embrace its policies, if you embrace its nostrums and deny that's what you're part of, then I got to tell you, you're not being honest. Own it. Be proud of what you are. Nazis and communists tended to be proud of what, proud of what they were. There's nothing about America that should make you have less pride. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It's a delight and privilege to welcome back our dear friend, Congressman Andy Biggs, chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, representing Arizona's 5th Congressional District. So proud of him. Andy, uh, let me postulate this. If the chairman or the Congressional Black Caucus or the Progressive Caucus uh, sent a letter asking to um, vacate uh, a Republican Speaker of the House's chair. I think it would be national news. This is switched just a little bit today where you are seeking a motion to have Nancy Pelosi vacated from her chair. Good work, sir. Good work, sir. Yeah. By what right does she have to tell Republicans who can and can't represent them? Well, see, that's the problem. And uh, it started... Three years ago, when she came back as speaker, she changed the rules. In fact, in fact, the rules are changed so where she had them changed to where only uh, Kevin McCarthy or his designee uh, or someone that she chose it, uh, on the Democrat side could even make the motion to vacate the chair. Mm. And the Democrats went right along with it because they they've allowed her to centralize power in a way like we've not seen a speaker do, um, frankly, in the history of the country. Yeah, I can't think of an example of Republicans being denied the members they want to put on a select committee. I just can't remember that historically. You may have some reference to it, but I don't remember this ever happening. No, never happened before. No, I didn't and, think so. Yeah, and so what's interesting about it is uh, now she's talking about bringing Adam Kinzinger on <laughs> uh, the committee. So so she has Liz Cheney, so she didn't say it's bipartisan. Bill Weld isn't Kinsinger. available. <laughs> exactly. I've, I mean um, – it's just it's just frightening, quite frankly. If you if you begin thinking about what she's done to the institution in and of itself, and then what the institution is doing to the country, and and combine it with what the Biden administration is doing, and and we we're gonna it's gonna take quite a few years to actually um, 
retrench on what they've done to the country. No, that's right. And it is, it, you know, it's not council culture, but it is another emblem or ba- badge of censorship when the Speaker of the House tells Republicans who and who they can't have on a committee they created to investigate something we damn well know has already been predetermined. This is part and parcel of the censorship. I mean, they're censoring Jim Jordan. Let's that's 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 what Nancy Pelosi is doing. And I think censoring uh, the Freedom Caucus. I see another batch of this. You were on this case as well. I don't know if you should get the ACLU Award of the Year, Andy, but I will nominate you if you want. Congressman Biggs sends letter to Biden administration condemning government censorship. This was two days ago. You, with 12 of your colleagues, sent a letter condemning the decision to monitor and flag the Facebook posts of U.S. citizens. Boy, if uh, if this were taking place under the Bush administration and under something called the Patriot Act, it, it, would, have been, it would have never been reauthorized. That's exactly right. Can you imagine the outcry if Donald Trump said, hey, look, we've got uh, big tech's going to help us uh, uh, root out and ferret out anybody who has a contrary opinion to. Uh, oh, they already gave us the phrase. We're going to have Facebook and Twitter root out anyone who's engaging in fake news. Right. Because that's exactly. what they're telling us it is, Andy. Fake yeah. news. They're telling us we're spreading fake news and hence need to be censored, right? Right. And, and you know what's really frightening about it is a lot of people don't even understand what the First Amendment's about. So there's two important things here, Seth. Number one, uh, the First Amendment is designed particularly, the founders particularly were concerned about uh, political speech. They wanted political speech to be uh, protected. And that means that if you dislike the king, King George at the time, you should be allowed to say it. If you dislike George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, look at the, the incendiary comments uh, Jefferson and uh, uh, Adams were hurling at each other. That was all to be protected. And that, and Jefferson even said, look, you know, they're, they're slandering me. They're libeling but me, but I'm, I'm not going to go after it because I believe that you can say what you want in this, this country. So that's one. The second point is this. When you engage a private concern, yeah. they become an agent of the state. And where did we see that? That was in the uh, uh, rise of the the uh, fascist governments in Europe in the early 30s of last century. So I view this as truly one more neo-fascist, uh, one more piece of evidence of a neo-fascist regime in the White House. Andy, uh, let's 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 not uh, let them get away with the hypocrisy that they are getting away with while we're while we're uh, charging their violations of political philosophy, all of which I agree with you on. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. When I go back and read the Supreme Court case, it's probably one of the top 20 most famous Supreme Court cases. The one the, 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 the mainstream media relies on all the time, New York Times v. Sullivan, William Brennan said authoritative interpretations of the First Amendment guarantees have consistently refused to recognize an exception for any test of truth. The Constitution protection does not turn upon truth. That's a quote. Yeah. Constitutional protection does not turn upon the truth. William Brennan for the majority in the very case the media uses and wraps themselves up to protect their free speech. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I didn't even think that was a particularly uh, correct decision, but he did nail. <laughs> yeah, that's just why I keep you around. <laughs> yeah. Assuming yeah. arguendo, but, it was a correct position. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, but the, it's theirs, the but it's is, what they use. It's what they use to defend they, their free speech rights. Right, and we should turn it right back at them, aim that fire hose back at them, because they believe 
that there should be a, I mean, th- this is outrageous. You might recall that early in this session, um, a, a freshman congresswoman said, we need to have a ministry of truth. Yeah, I do remember that. So, so you begin to see this Orwellian, authoritarian uh, uh, turn that the Democrat Party has taken. And I always believe that they project. So they say everybody else is a fascist. Yeah. But the real fascists are the Democrats who want to use big government, marry that to big tech and big corporations and big business, and go after anybody that might have the temerity to disagree with them. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really where we've, where we've landed right now in this uh, bizarre uh, world that has the Biden oligarchy, because he's not running the country. I mean, it's this oligarchy of ne'er-do-wells that surround him. Do you worry – by the way, when do you have to go, Andy? I want to be respectful of your time. I have I probably have time for one this segment here. Okay, I'm good. Sorry. Let me let me get one more in on on something you and I have been uh, keenly uh, focused on. It, it just kind of feels like we're going back to lockdown mode. I'll tell you how I see it with Biden floating what he floated yesterday. I can see the trajectory. I can see it right now. We're going to move from uh, from I think children should uh, be masked if they're not vaccinated to the NEA and the and the American Federation of Teachers saying we're not going back to school unless all kids are masked and vaccinated. I can see it right now. I'm telling you, Andy, it's coming. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Not only is it that coming, they're going to lock down schools, but they're also going to use big companies, private corporations to go after uh, travel and transport and uh, retail again. And uh, we're, we're heading to another big uh, economic uh, downturn. Well... I mean, it's going to be terrible for the American people. It's going to be terrible for people in the rest of the world to depend on America, primarily the poor uh, in, 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 in places like Africa. It's going to be a horrible thing. And if 93,000 substance abuse or drug overdose deaths aren't enough, okay, we'll expand it more uh, into next year. And then you'll be in the majority and we'll begin to fix it and retrench. Andy, that's the I best hope. I can hope, I hope for at this point because I agree with you. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Aren't we cheerful guys on this Friday? Well, it's a little rainy out, so you know what I did? I read the opening of The Cat in the Hat because I wanted to revivify Dr. Seuss's reputation. And uh, you'll recall you'll recall it starts with the rainy day. And, you know, here comes that rainy day, Andy. It's okay. We can, we can oh, with this weather be able we, – we, we can be just a little good. pessimistic. Yes, I agree. Okay, I agree. brother. We love you. Stay strong. Stay in touch. We'll talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks, Seth. God bless you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-5080-960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I was thinking Facebook and Twitter might uh, ban uh, Joe Biden because he was spreading misinformation at the CNN town hall about vaccines, saying if you get vaccinated, you won't get um, the coronavirus. Weirdly... Anthony Fauci did what we call the obverse of that, um, the obverse of that uh, this morning uh, with CBS News. Just listen to this line for a quick second from Anthony Fauci. Bill, play me that new Anthony Fauci quote, if you don't For the unvaccinated, that means not only getting infected, that means some proportion of the people who are infected will get seriously ill, requiring hospitalizations, and in some cases, unfortunately, death. Do it again. For the unvaccinated, that means not only getting infected, that means some proportion of the people who are infected will get seriously ill. That's not true. It does not mean 
the unvaccinated will get infected. It's simply not true. That is a misstatement of fact. We have been through a roiling of coronavirus in this country. We have been told about spikes and increases. We have been told about it being a speeding bullet and a bullet train. We have been told that it's everywhere. And yet, and yet, prior to the vaccine and all those things being said, prior to the vaccine, official government statistics show about 10% of the population getting it. How do you go from 10% of the population having it? And I understand why that would be an undercount. I understand that. And I'm happy to take it to its maximum. Why would one, to its maximum being maybe 50%, but asymptomatic? Regardless, how do you get to 100%? How do you get to 100% in chance of infection? How do you get there? Please explain that to me. It's a false statement. Just as it's a false statement to say the vaccine will prevent you from getting COVID. Over 4,000 people have been twice vaccinated and gotten COVID, and over 700 of them have died from or with COVID, what the country used to say because of COVID. These two are lying. <laughs> 